Thank you for coming to the podcast. Episode 51 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. You're going to want to ask Santa for a Sisu Mouthguard. It's a perfect stocking stuffer. If you do a high-impact sport or activity, it is unlike any other mouthguard you've ever had. I've had them all, and I'll tell you what I've told other mouthguards. I say... Other mouth guard, I am not impressed with your performance. Sisu makes the best mouth guard on the market. It has a crumple zone technology. I don't know what that is, but you can head on over to sisuguard.com and find out more. Help protect your smile with a Sisu mouth guard. We are also brought to you by Datsusara. Datsusara makes fight gear made entirely out of hemp. It's antimicrobial, which if you've ever been in an MMA gym, you know how important that is. Head on over to dsgear.com. Check out their hemp fight shorts, both Gumby and I roll in them. We highly recommend them. And you can enter in promo code TOPTURTLE for a nice little discount. So in summation, episode 51 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the best mouth guard on the market, Sisu Mouthguard, and the best hemp fight gear on the market, and the only hemp fight gear on the market, Datsusara. Head on over to dsgear.com to find out more. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership, part of the Sports Daily Network. We, of course, are available there. Also, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, wherever a podcast is being streamed for crying out loud, we have an RSS feed. You can follow the show on Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. Gumby, one of the things I love about our show is we cut right to the chase. We don't waste our listeners' time. We know they're here for MMA, news, insight, interviews, and that's really our value prop. That's all we're going to bring you, nothing else. Maybe I'll make a sarcastic remark once in a while, but I don't even like to do that too much. But I will tell you I'm super excited to make my homemade eggnog this week going to add a little bourbon in it when the family comes over, if you know what I'm saying. But other than that, I'm not going to mention anything about our personal lives. We just stick to what you want to hear. So with that said, let's get to the fastest fight news segment on planet Earth. Happy holidays, by the way, Gumby. Are you ready? Happy holidays. Uh, I am ready. All right, let's start with this. We didn't have a chance to talk about this last week. Uh, the UFC announced that they're going to have a women's featherweight title uh, after all the back and forth with Cyborg, how they didn't want to have a featherweight division for the women. Now they want to have a featherweight division for the women, but Cyborg isn't in the featherweight division. Or I shouldn't say that. Cyborg won't be in the inaugural uh, featherweight title fight. It'll be Holly Holm versus Jermaine Durandamy. Your thoughts? It's crazy, right? I mean, like the whole piece to it, it's definitely a political move against when Cyborg said she could fight, when she could make weight, uh, and the fact that they're definitely missing a title fight in Brooklyn. It, it just seems like everybody's tied up at the moment and nobody's ready to go. So it's, like, shocking to me that that would happen. Wait, I want to take that back a second. What do you mean political against Cyborg for saying she would make weight? And so, so Cyborg went on record saying – or. Dana, rather, went on record saying Cyborg was offered multiple featherweight title shots, but she said she couldn't make it all the way down to 45, because even 45 is a cut for her. I mean, I know it got publicized how much 40 is a cut for her, but she, she said, or at least he said she said, uh, that she couldn't make it a 45 on multiple different occasions. He wasn't giving her enough time to do that by Brooklyn in February, which is about eight weeks away at this point in time. So he just went ahead and booked a featherweight title fight with but two others. That confuses me so much because she fought Leslie Smith and Lena Landsberg at a catchweight 140. She did, but she also did that with like a, a 12 to 14 week camp where uh, she was on a nutritional diet, where mm -hmm. she like knew what she was doing. And even then she almost killed herself. 
45 <laughs> is not far away. That's only five pounds away from that kill yourself weight. So it's not like, you know, she's coming into 45 feeling healthy and good and fully eating either. So eight weeks wasn't enough. So it's definitely a political move saying we couldn't wait. They needed a pay-per-view headliner with a title fight. We saw that before with, with the whole Max Holloway, Anthony Pettis thing. The choices for the fighters is just so odd to me. You took two girls who make 35. I do have to say, I don't think, I know in their investor thing that leaked, they said they like to double stack. I don't think that's the headliner per se. I think it's going to be the co-main and they'll announce a stronger headliner. Yeah. Because Holly Holm, Jermaine Duran to me. It does nothing nothing. for a pay-per-view. But it's okay for a co-main as a new title. And it does sort of start to remind me of WWE with prop belts. Hey, let's make this guy the U.S., British, intercontinental (laughs) champion. You know, it'll be another toy we can sell to the kids as a prop uh i do also want to say holly said she still wants a shot at 135 which is like way to kick off a new division holly yeah way to kick off a new division saying you're gonna drop out of that division back into a division where you've lost two in a row now this is the other thing i wanted to get uh your opinion on gumby wouldn't it make more sense uh diablo advocate here to do a 125 pound division uh champion because then you could have the bigger 115ers come up the smaller 135ers go down and you have some fluidity some fluidity between fighters from 115 to 135 now it's like they've created almost the heavyweight division of female fighting and we've heard for so long that they had no one for cyborg to fight i mean i think dana white's even said that there's no other 45ers out there but now here we are with a featherweight division championship well i disagree with that because in general i think the reason they're adding 45 instead of 25 is because 25 so close to 15 and 30 girls who usually feel closest at 25 or best at 25 If there's no way they can make 15, they go up. If there is a way they can make 15, they go down. This division is for women who there's no shot at them making 35, right? Cyborg's never going to make 35. And that's why the headliners are weird to me, too, is because I think there actually are a bunch of really good 45 prospects. Name one or two right now. Uh, Megan Anderson. We have her on the show today. That's amazing. (laughs) Perfect timing. Uh, And I do want to mention, we didn't have a chance to ask her about this because we taped before the announcement, but she is someone who could eventually be in the featherweight UFC division title picture. I I even asked her a couple of questions, too, about what she thinks about Cyborg, and and almost with the thought that they were going to give Cyborg the first title shot. So, I mean, you could count her, her opponent, Charmaine Tweet. You could use Cindy Dandois. You could use... um, the one from Billator there, uh, name's not going to come to me off the top of my head. Uh, Marlo's Conan. Um, you, you could put her in that 45 division. There's lots of talent at 45. Okay, so Gumby is bullish on the new 145-pound division. Let's move now. Uh, this past weekend, you had UFC on Fox, headlined by Ken and Barbie, uh, and they both lost. Let's go through it lightning quick style, Gumby. Paige Van Zandt, not looking too hot against uh, the karate hottie Michelle Waterson, got rear naked choked. Uh, tons of street cred, though, if you're into one of those people, because she didn't tap. Uh, what did you make of the performance? I, I thought the, the craziest part of that performance was not necessarily the lag of ground skills because I knew Watterson was better on the ground than Van Zant. However, the crazy thing to me is the fact that Watterson was able to throw her with that same hip toss that Van Zant has thrown so many other fighters with. And Van Zant's a much stronger opponent. And Van Zant also tried that uh, judo hip toss on Watterson and got shut down. Yeah. So, I, I mean, obviously, Watterson, really good game planning. She trains with Jackson Winklejohn, uh, you know, some of the best game planners in the world. So the fact that, you know, she knew that that was coming and then countered it with it itself 
I mean, just brilliant from Waterson. Where do you go with Waterson next? Uh, I love a fight with Rose Nami Yunus. Yes. Rose Nami Yunus actually this morning called out uh, Waterson for a fight after that. And I just think it's such a smart fight. Um, they're two really marketable 115ers, um, and it would put either of them right in the title picture. All right. Well, Barbie lost, and then in the co-main event, Ken lost. Uh, Mickey Gall, rear naked choked, uh, Sage Northcutt. And uh, that's the third win in the UFC for Mickey Gall, third with a rear naked choke. Uh, what do you make of both I, performances? I, I still don't know what to say about Mickey Gall's skills. Because, like, right, we already know Sage Northcutt grapples really awfully, right? right. And, and he proved it. He, he grappled really badly. You want to know what the part that b- bothered me the most there is? What was the criticism of Sage Northcutt when he tapped out to Brian Barberana? That he gave up easily. He gave up really easily. Yeah. Did you notice when he was getting choked out with a rear naked choke, not once did he reach up for the hand mm-hmm. on the latching arm? Right. Not once did he reach up for that. And all you do is you pull that down, and it opens up fairly easy if you get a good grip on it. But he didn't even reach for it. He just pick, picked up his hand, left it up like he was going to tap, and then tapped. Well, you mentioned that Michelle Waterson had the advantage of being a Jackson Winklejohn product, and then you see Mickey Gall is now working with Faraz Zahabi, something yeah. that I guess Sage Northcutt felt wasn't worth it for him because he was up there for a yeah, minute. How ironic is that? What a head fuck and, on Mickey Gall's part. And, and then, <laughs> you know, you hear just how his dad kind of, I, I don't know, I mean, it's all rumors and innuendo, but... uh I just think that Sage Northcutt needs a real camp. I mean, yeah. this is getting ridiculous. Yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't matter which one it is, too. Like, whether it's Jackson Winklejohn, ATT, he should have stayed at TriStar. You could put him at Sarah Longo, King's MMA, anything like that. I mean, a legit camp that's going to get him a legit jiu-jitsu coach because very clearly whoever's teaching him jiu-jitsu is not teaching him the right jiu-jitsu for MMA. He might be a freaking awesome jiu-jitsu for grappling tournaments, but he's not a good jiu-jitsu for MMA right now. Uriah Faber went out with a unanimous decision win over Brad Pickett. His career comes to an end in his in his hometown, Sacktown, Sacramento. What do you make of Uriah Faber's career in a nutshell? Um, to me, it's always going to feel a little bit empty without that UFC title with so many shots at it. And never walking away from it, but he, he was the guy before there was a division. That's the, the thing. And the W. I mean, he ruled the WEC. Uh, yeah, and and, and it's kind of like you know we talked to Ian McCall. Ian McCall was the king of 125 before we had 125, and he'll always be that. But there is some part of it that like you just wish that if you're a Faber fan, I guess you just wish that he could have gotten it in the UFC too. To sort of complete that legacy, because now he's always going to be the guy who had it before it was even a thing. And it feels a little incomplete. That being said, he put on some wars. There's straight up no guy out there who takes a beating better than he does. Can we also say before the two mega stars came along in Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor, is it fair to say Uriah Faber was the most marketable person under 155 well, pounds until the mega, the two megastars came along. There's no doubt that his popularity in WEC made the UFC say, God, we can sell these small fighters. And, and if that's his legacy at the end of the day, yeah. I mean, th- th- that's a great legacy to have. The reason why we have fighters under 155 pounds. Uh, 
Anderson Silva posted some uh, photos on Instagram of him whipping Michael Bisping's ass in their fight last year, which he, of course, lost by decision, propelled Bisping to a title shot. Uh, and, you know, did Anderson Silva take the time to Photoshop these images together? Probably not. Probably his management team. <laughs> Michael Bisping responded because that's what Michael Bisping did. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Bisping slated to fight Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero feels like he's always, uh, you know, one steroid test away from getting suspended. So Silva could step in easily as a last-minute replacement. There's I, better options than Silva, though, right? Like, th- that's instantly what I... When I saw that headline, I was like, God, if he backs out, you got to give Rockhold the shot first, or you got to give Jacare the shot first, or you got to give, like... like I, I will a hundred people who want... you got to give Whitaker the shot first. I would give it... If we're going on fairness, I would give it to Souza at this point. You know, Rockhold backed out of the fight that was slated for him and Souza in Australia. Uh, he also, you know, you don't want to put your hand up in a title fight and you get knocked out by Michael Bisping. Do I need to rush to give you an immediate rematch? No. I would like to see him earn one win back. Weidman just lost to Romero, so he's out. Kennedy just lost to Gastelum, so he's out. So you're looking at, to me, the most deserving would be Souza, then Musasi, and then Whitaker. Yeah, and, and all three of those, uh, I mean, way more better choices than Spider. Now, having said that, that was my Spider first point. Like yeah, exactly, yeah, and we are right. in the WME era, my friend. Yeah, now, nobody gets all jacked up because Musasi got a last-second shot, right? Oh, loyal, loyal listeners, I have to step back a moment. I forgot my whole point of saying Barbie and Ken lost, and it actually ties into the whole thing with maybe Anderson Silva talking himself back into a title shot. The ratings are in for UFC on Fox on Saturday, Gumby. Best ratings for a December show in three years. Best ratings for a Fox show since Rubble fought Gus at the beginning of 2015. Marketing people who are good-looking seems to work for the UFC. It does, but to what extent, how long is that going to last? Like, Are they going to be able to continue selling those guys not if they, when keep, they losing. keep doing right. things like that. Like, I mean, like you can't sell them against nobodies. They sold them against pretty good fighters who had some hype behind them as well. And those guys are going to beat Barbie and Ken until they figure out their freaking jujitsu game. Right. Henzo Gracie says jujitsu never leave home without it. And it was never more true for Barbie and Ken. Last thing I want to say, Gumby, because it wouldn't be a fastest fight news segment if we didn't mention Conor McGregor or GSP. In this case, I'll mention Conor McGregor. He said UFC has not contacted me. I'm still the two weight world champion. Um, and he also mentioned that he can fight before May. He got his girlfriend or yes, he got his girlfriend's due date messed up. So he said he's taking off time for the holidays and then he's probably live for a fight sometime in early spring but obviously may is the due date of his child um i guess i'm gonna kick it to myself here and i just want to say for people who want to make a headline out of this of course conor mcgregor is gonna say he's still the two-weight world champion the old interim now new featherweight champion he beat in 13 seconds the new interim champion he beat on a torn acl (laughs) Obviously, he considers himself the two-way world champion. It's great marketing. He's not going to say anything different. To me, it's barely even news. Of course, Conor McGregor still considers himself the two-way world champion. Well, and this is I'll say this, too. Like, I don't ever expect him to go back to 45 unless he loses the 55 title. Right. And even then, rematch at 55 or 70-pound title I- seems more <laughs> likely to me. So, 
this is just an opportunity for him to sit here and say, this is mine. This is mine forever. It's great and marketing. And there'll never be another 45-pound champion ever again right. in his mind. It, he'll go to 70 before he goes back to 45, and why wouldn't he? Why do that brutal weight cut? And he has money fights up and down the roster. He doesn't need to go to 145. Exactly. And why go to 45 to win a title that you said you already have? Right. And, and he can say it until he dies. And one last thing, and I know you're going to be very uh, happy with me saying this because I've always been more on the conspiracy front that Connor could push the limit and try to box, but I do think it's very apparent that if he's going to take time off for the holidays, which is totally fair, and then his wife is going to give birth in May, there's no way he's taking a boxing fight sometime between January and April. That's something that would take nine, ten more months of training, specifically boxing. So when he says, I can fight after the holidays, but before May, when I read between the lines, that ain't a fucking boxing contest, nope. pardon my French, pardon my Irish in this case, but that's a uh, MMA fight. And obviously the UFC, you know they have some big whiteboard somewhere in UFC headquarters in Las Vegas where they're penciling in some sort of big card because they probably go by quarters, as most, most businesses do, for January, February, March. We have Ronda fighting on December 30th. Who's the other big draw and really their biggest draw by leaps and bounds even above Ronda it's Connor I can guarantee you they want Connor to fight sometime between January and March well here's my conspiracy theory on that one right now we have some headliners you know or possible headliners for those pay-per-views who is headlining the UFC 209 right now uh no one nobody and what a beautiful piece of marketing it would be to have UFC 209, for those of you who know the area code, 209 is the area code to Stockton. Where the Diaz brothers brothers live. How perfect would it be? Diaz, McGregor, three light heavyweight champion or lightweight championship on the line. Biggest fight of all time. It would be the biggest fight of all time. And I hate the matchup. (laughs) Right. And I also want to mention, you could also go with big brother Diaz too there. Oh, you you could fight Nick. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. They're just trying to make money. All right. That wraps up the fastest fight news segment on planet earth. It's true what they say. Fight news never sleeps. All right, we will turn our attention now to Devin Powell, who is a uh, prospect out of the NEF promotion in Maine. He's from Maine himself, and he is on the Looking for a Fight show that takes place in Maine that has not aired yet. So, spoiler alert, this is the guy that Dana White and company went and saw at the NEF fights in August and selected him uh, for a contract with the UFC. He should be making his debut, if all goes according to plan, at the UFC Phoenix show uh, on the other side of the new year in 2017. We got a chance to talk to him. Very well-spoken young man. We're very excited about his prospects in the UFC, and we'll play you that interview right now. But I want to mention, it is brought to you by Datsusara. Datsusara is a hemp fight gear company. You can head on over to dsgear.com to learn more about them. Their fight gear is antimicrobial, super durable because it's made out of hemp, which is about a billion times more stronger than cotton and good for Mother Earth. Head on over to dsgear.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLE for a nice little discount, and tell them Dave and Gumby sent you, and I highly recommend the fight shorts made out of hemp. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with Devin Powell. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are talking to Devin Powell, who fights at 
UFC one or Fight Night 103 in Phoenix on January 15th against Jordan Rinaldi. Uh, Devin, being from this area, because uh, we're from the Northeast as well, uh, we heard a lot about you uh, in your lead-up to uh, your appearance on NEF's Looking for a Fight with Dana White. Um, typically, fans only see that post-production, but we got to hear a lot about it leading up. Uh, how much did you hear about Dana being at the show, and you know what was your thoughts about trying to get on that card? I fought for World Series of Fighting, and um, I had fought uh, three times within like like four months or something like that, and it was uh, it was a pretty long string of fights. So I was it was pretty beat up when that card kind of surfaced. Um, I hurt my foot pretty good in the World Series fight against Tom Marcelino, so I was hobbling uh, hobbling around for a while, but. When the card came up, I messaged Matt Peterson just to kind of see if there was a possibility, and it just didn't end up happening. And then while I was at a concert, kind of just enjoying myself with uh, some friends and my fiance, I got uh, a message from Matt Peterson. This was three weeks out saying someone was hurt, and he was sorry he couldn't find me someone, but he found me someone then. So basically I, I hopped on because it was a chance of a lifetime, with a three-week camp and, and got in there and, and was able to get the job done. Ah, so so is that sort of why they, they had you fight at uh, catchweight at 160, uh, obviously not for your title, um, even though you both were lightweights? Yeah, exactly. I, um, I, I probably could have made 55, no problem. I try not to be huge. I'm pretty tall, though. Um, I get a, so I, I get a pretty tall frame, and uh, weight cutting is just something that I hate, but it's just part of the sport. And since I had already cut weight um, three times that same year, I just, I didn't want to cut as much with a short camp. So I just asked if we could do 160 just for health reasons. I could have done it. I mean, I, I wasn't even feeling bad at the weigh-ins and I weighed in at 159. So um, just, just as far as being smart to my body and respecting it, a little bit. I, I just asked, and he was happy to, to meet me at 160, which was awesome. Now, we haven't yet seen that episode of Looking for a Fight. Uh, Dana White and his gang haven't published uh, what he did in the state of Maine. Uh, so, are you eager to see that when it comes out, or, or could you care less about watching yourself uh, fight with Dana White doing commentary? No, I'm, I'm definitely excited, for sure. Uh, it, was, uh, it was definitely a really fun experience. It was cool meeting him. And then, and Matt, Sarah, Matt, Sarah, kind of with, with love picked on me a little bit for my, uh, fluorescent shorts that I chose to wear. Um, hopefully some of that gets on there, but they definitely all liked me a lot. I think I showed a lot of resilience getting my nose broken in half pretty quick, uh, pretty quickly into the fight and coming back. Um, but, uh, hopefully I get a decent, uh, decent chunk on there. I know that they were there to scout one of Ronda Rousey's training partners, I believe, and, and another kid from Brazil. Um, and they both fought and had a good fight. And um, I'm not sure what of that fight will be on it. But, yeah, I think there was uh, – I, I definitely wasn't somebody that was supposed to get a look, but – I'm, I'm really happy that uh, it ended up working out that way, obviously. Let's switch it over to your uh, your budding UFC career. So uh, your opponent, Jordan Rinaldi, has already fought in the UFC before. He's got uh, one UFC appearance. Obviously, being a, the guy making his debut, there's always that question about octagon jitters. Is that something that concerns you? Do you worry about that kind of stuff? It's definitely a possibility. You know, it's a big arena, but 
I thankfully I get to fight the World Series of Fighting. It wasn't a crazy big arena or anything, but at least I knew it was kind of the big leagues. You know, there's there's definitely a divide between the two leagues, but um, it was nice to do that, and it was nice to already fight in front of Dana White. But really, when you get the cage door locked, you kind of you kind of forced to focus on one person. So I, I think I'm I'm gonna be okay with performing the way I know I need to. Yeah, and let, let's talk about that one person for a quick second too. So uh, Jordan Rinaldi, uh, how do you think you match up with him, and, and how do you think this one shakes down? I uh, I think it's definitely an interesting matchup. I think he's a pretty decent striker. I think he's just, I mean, pretty easy breakdown just looking at his record. His, his submission game is his strongest point. Uh, good pressure. He wrestles for a while. Uh, I think he can definitely grind out um, grind out fights, and he can also get the job done quick in the first. I, I think that it's going to be a good fight. I'm a BJJ black belt, so being on the mats, definitely no uh, unfamiliar territory for me, so I'm, I'm happy kind of wherever it shakes out. I've had uh, a lot of uh, success on my feet, and I think people don't realize how versatile I am on my feet uh, just because it's, you know, people look at me like a jiu-jitsu guy, but that's definitely not all the all that I am. I, I set a lot, of, a lot of my finishes up with my striking, so I think... Uh, I think he's going to try and take me down, but you know who knows? It, it could end up being an awesome striking matchup, but I just feel like he he has a tendency to go for his double and single legs, and I, I kind of see that happening and, and just going from there. But I'm kind of excited to see anywhere that this fight takes it just because I, I enjoy all aspects of the game. I'm not going to be fighting my way too hard to, to keep it one way or the other. I'm going to try and get the job done, get the finish either on my feet or on my back or on top and guard, however. We're from the Northeast. We know that a lot of the big-name camps are, are down in Florida, over in California, Albuquerque, uh, Arizona area. Uh, how, how difficult do you find it is to get uh, you know high-level training partners up to Maine? Uh, obviously, we know you own your own gym, um, but how hard is it to get high-level training partners up to Maine to work out with you guys or up to New Hampshire to work out with you guys so that you um, are able to feel like you're at your best? It's definitely a, running my own academy. No, so MMA is, um, you know, it's a different different kind of uh, atmosphere than probably most fighters are are used to. But I definitely I love the teaching aspect. So it's something that I would never change. When I get ready for fights, I I give up some more of my classes, but I still teach a good handful of classes. Keeps my brain sharp and keeps me doing something that I love and, and breaks up the know the grind a little bit um but i uh I, I don't think it's too hard to get people down i'm i'm a black belt under port city bjj and they come down to train with me and their their jujitsu program is phenomenal um i have guys like jared lawton who's a black belt from up maine who's, who's also phenomenal and he's been coming down and training i've gotten the chance to compete with jared yeah. lawton he's a he's a hell of a black belt yeah he, he's a he's an awesome guy and uh He's been very inviting. Actually, the Valentina, uh, Valentina and um, Antonina, uh, they were they were down. One's in the UFC, one's the Lion Fights champ, and they were down for a little, uh, probably a couple months actually. And they were training in his gym, which was really cool. I got to go down, uh, go down and train a little bit with them, which is really neat. Um, and then as far as other other people, I, I was going down and training with um, Nate Andrews. Um, 
and Matt Bassett and all those guys. Uh, there's plenty of guys in the Northeast that, that are phenomenal that I'm going to be looking to get um, back in with to, to do some good rounds with. Awesome. But um, the, the Northeast is a little bit underlooked, I think. People don't realize how talented some of these guys are. I think there's at least 10 fighters um, – at least 10 or 12 fighters that I, I feel like could be in the UFC right now um, that just haven't gotten the call yet, haven't got their, their chance. I think one of the people everybody talks about is Matt Bassett, and I hope that he gets, uh, you know, he gets his shot really soon here. But plenty of guys around to, to get work with. Yep, we yeah. couldn't agree with you more on that, and we can't wait for you <laughs> to represent the Northeast at UFC Fight Night 103 in Phoenix, January 15th, and we will all be watching. Thank you so much for the time, Devin. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. We love it. All right, there you have it, Devin Powell. I love catching up with the rising prospects in MMA. Um, I found Devin to be very well-spoken, and I think the future is bright for him in the UFC, and he'll, of course, make his debut uh, after the new year, January 15th in Phoenix, so we look forward to that, and we can look back on this interview before he even uh, made it to the UFC, and I don't know when that episode of Looking for a Fight is airing. The last thing I heard, uh, they were going to be debuting on Netflix as their exclusive home, and I have to imagine that new season, or at least that episode, episode will come out uh, before January 15th when Devin Powell makes his UFC debut. It wouldn't make sense otherwise. So interesting to keep an eye on. Now, speaking of prospects, we got a chance to catch up with mega female featherweight prospect Megan Anderson. She's from Australia, but trains under UFC veteran James Krause, and she's headlining Invicta 21, uh, which also takes place after the new year. Uh, That's going to be on January 14th in Kansas City, and she'll be fighting Charmaine Tweet. So we will play you that interview now, and I would be remiss not to mention that this interview is also brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Hemp, fight gear, durable, antimicrobial. If you're in the fight game, if you do it as a profession, as a semi-profession, or you're just a hobbyist, uh, or someone who competes on the reg, you're going to want to check out Datsusara Hemp Gear because it is super durable and also antimicrobial, two things you know are very important in fight gear. And it's something you could buy as a present for a loved one around the holidays. Head on over to dsgear.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, get yourself a nice little discount. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with Invicta fighter Megan Anderson. We are talking with Megan Anderson, who headlines Invicta 14 on January 14th against Charmaine Tweet. So, uh, Megan, let's kick right into it. Uh, it's your fifth fight with Invicta. Uh, what was it the feeling like when they asked you to headline the card in January? Um, it was pretty cool. Um, you know, I've, I've never never been a main event before. Uh, so, you know, and, and it was kind of cool to see that my, my hard work had been paying off, so... Well, and obviously not just the hard work, but obviously the dominant finishes. Um, do you do you feel like uh, now is the right time uh, to be in the talks for that title? To be in the talks to be at the top of the one forty five division? You know, it's the, the one forty five division. It's it's all kind of all over the place at the moment. You know, with with Chris being in the UFC and them talking about implementing a UFC to you know one forty five division, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I've you know whatever happens happens. 
Yeah, and so so let's talk about that a little bit. So you, you know, you've mentioned that the the UFC is talking about adding 145ers. Uh, Dana said he's willing to make the move even without Cyborg because it's just the right time for 145ers. So it seems like it, it is going to happen sooner than later. Do you feel any extra pressure being a featherweight, being a headliner, and with all of this information coming out? It's almost the opposite. Like this is the time to shine. Like you know, it's it's not about putting pressure and it's, it's about showing, you know, Dana and the UFC, you know, why you, 145ers should be in the UFC, you know. Um, it, it just is going to solidify the decision to implement the division. Yeah, and, and obviously, uh, you know, the, the matchup has a lot to do with that too. So you're fighting uh, Charmaine Tweet. Uh, former kickboxer. She won her last fight by spinning back fist. Just talk a little bit about the matchup and how you think you match up against Tweet. Um, I think this is a really good matchup, um, and I, I think I think the, it, it'll be it'll be an exciting fight for the fans. Absolutely. And, and do you expect her to just want to stand with you? Uh, do you want to take it to the ground without giving away too much to your game plan? Do you expect this to be like a stand in the pocket trade and fight? I think she'll try and stand with me. And then once I hit her a few times, she's going to try and take her down. It's a common theme in a lot of my fights. So we're, we're ready for whatever, you know, <laughs> wherever it goes, we'll be fine. Absolutely. You get hit in a couple of times in the face and wind up looking like Peggy Morgan and you don't want to stand too much longer with Megan Anderson, right? Yes. So, um, you know, I, I am going to kick it around and, uh, you know, talk a little bit about uh, Cyborg at this time because, you know, right now that's the, the name on everybody's tongue. Uh, if you have the perfect fight on January 14th, uh, you know, is that the type of fight you want coming up next or is, is she just so far off your radar that you're looking somewhere else? Um, you know, that fight will happen when it happens. I'm just focusing on January 14th and then, you know, hopefully get picked up by the UFC. You know, it's never, you know, you never, never know what's going to happen. So, you know, that fight could happen next or it could happen three fights from now. So it's just whatever they want to do and what the matchmakers want to do. And, you know, there's no point in trying to worry about something that might or might not happen you know, next, because no one ever knows. Everything changes so quickly in this sport. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one fight certainly can change everything. So, uh, you know, and, and I wouldn't be doing my job here if I, I didn't try to get a soundbite out of you here, too. How would you feel that you match up with somebody like Cyborg, who is such a, you know, seen as this ultimate dominant striker and, and who really hasn't had a match on her feet yet? Um, I think it would be an exciting match. You know, I'm definitely, you know, I'd definitely go in there, you know, with trying to, trying to, pull off the perfect performance so and you know she always does the same and that's always as always great for the fans back to originally what you said there about uh you know potentially moving to the ufc potentially getting other fights in evicta and things like that do you feel like having a, a coach in in james kraus who who has experience working with the ufc and has experience you know dealing with the ufc do you feel like that is uh you know like an extra plus in your corner when it comes time to to, to negotiate with them or to try to bring it yourself to their, their table? I don't really know. Um, I guess his experience w will help, but, you know, everybody's different. And, you know, that if, if it does happen and, and they do pick me up and I have that first fight, well, you know, of course, of, of course you're going to have nerves and stuff like that. You know, first time I fought in Victor, I had nerves. You know, it's a step up in competition. It's step up in exposure. So, of course, those nerves are going to be there regardless of who's in your corner. 
but yeah, I, I guess it does help that he's been there before and he's experienced, he's experienced a lot. You know, he's had 50 fights. He's, he's a great person to have in your corner. Absolutely. Uh, and a, a, a good 50 fights in that, too. Um, you know, let's let, let's uh, let's take it back to um, to the fight with Tweet because that that is the one that's on uh, you know everybody's mind right now in the the world of Invicta. Uh, you know, so you've you've said that you are uh, you know a, a big um, you're a big fan of this matchup. You think that this matchup is going to be fun for the fans. Uh, you're obviously a very humble person. We can tell that talking to you in, in just the quick couple of minutes. We've got you here. Uh, but are you willing to go out on a limb and give us a prediction for this fight? What do you expect to happen here? Um, <laughs> I, I, I expect a finish. You know, I always go out in my fights. I always look for a finish. So I, I think, again, you know, that there'll be a finish in this fight as well. Well, we are certainly looking forward to it. And once again, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Megan Anderson fights Charmaine Tweet at Invicta 14th on January 14th. Uh, Megan, we thank you so much for the time, and we really, really, really do appreciate it, and we'll be looking forward to your fight. No worries. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, there you have it, Megan Anderson. This is the woman who could one day topple Cyborg, not to mention the fact that now the UFC has uh, announced that there will be a featherweight division. This is someone who you might see challenge for the UFC featherweight title down the line at some point, perhaps uh, Holly Holm, perhaps uh, Jermaine Durandamy. I don't know, but she's someone to keep an eye on, and I'm glad we got a chance to catch up with her. So this has been another episode of Top Turtle MMA. We thank you so much for listening. We, of course, are available on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever a podcast is being streamed. Follow the show on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. And we, of course, are always available on MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership, part of the Sports Daily Network. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. Thanks so much for listening, and have a happy holidays, why don't you?